Good morning. Another full house for those on the podcast. We're going to start by reading James, uh, James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh, as it were, a fire. Ye have heaped the treasure excuse me, ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of which is of you kept back by fraud. Crieth and the excuse me. I always start these things out a little nervous. Which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth, and the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Ye have lived in the pleasure of on the earth, and have been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts, and in a day as in a day of slaughter. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. God's word. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd be with us today as we discuss this book of James and uh, Jeff Meyer's uh, exposition on it. I pray that you would uh, guide my words as the guide for this class, and I pray that you would guide our discussion, help there to be true wisdom, and help us to approach it with humility. And I pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, this really struck me when I read uh, James 5, because it's a lot of very uh, happy messages about um, your riches Your riches are, uh, are cankered, and they're rusted, and they're um, a witness against you. And once again, one of those parts where I saw... Uh, one of those parts where I read in the book of James and I said, oh, this is more of that ecclesiastical, uh, uh, Ecclesiastes style of wisdom. But once again, Jeff Myers um, helped me to see what, uh, what James, also known as Jacob, was getting at. We've been talking about, we've been talking about the parable um, that we had before in verses... Uh, in chapter fourteen, uh, chapter four, verses thirteen through seventeen, where we had the rich men who were uh, devising their plans, um, and th- and that was actually referring to the nation of Israel. Um, what we have here is more of uh, what we've been talking about with the nation of Israel, and we'll get into that in a moment. Um, I just wanted to do a quick review of a couple of the points from last time we met. Um, this bears saying again, Christians need to set aside the loser mentality. Oh, excuse me. The loser mentality. We serve a divine God who can work what is meant for evil into good. The sufferings of the early church were great, but in God's timing, they served to spread the gospel message over all the earth. And I put this note there uh, last night. Still some work to do. So, we've uh, Christianity has spread um, greatly. It's been a, it's been amazing the spread that we've had. It's been a good couple thousand years. Still got a long way to go. 
Yeah, I'd say we're off to a very good start. Um, we still have a long way to go, but we'll get there. Um, I don't have to see it in my lifetime. I don't have to see it in my daughter's lifetime. Give it a couple hundred years. God's saints are vindicated in history. This is easily um, this is easily observed by anybody who understands history. And it's one of the things I like about um, having grown up in this church and gone to um, Tri-City Christian Academy um, as a Christian school um, is because it's given me the ability to look at history through a godly worldview. And being able to look at history through a godly worldview, I can see that the saints are vindicated throughout history. If you, we can see by going out into the world and listening to how they see history that they, that they don't see this at all. A lot, of people, a lot of people that you'll talk to out there, they'll look at the history and say that we're going down. It's getting worse and worse. Well, how can you look at... Yeah, especially Christians oftentimes. But it's, it's ridiculous to think that things are getting worse and worse. That's a, that's a very short-sighted worldview that things are getting worse and worse. Um, we can look at uh, one thing. I one thing I like to talk to my dad about, or talk to my wife about, sometimes is I'll be like, "Look at look at how easy it is to grow things." The curse from the garden was that we'd have to wrestle with thorns and thistles, and that and that it would be through the sweat of our toil that uh, we'd we'd be nurtured by the earth. But things have grown so much easier in our time. In a very short time, um, the way technology has advanced, we've we've uh, made things so much uh, easier and so much more profitable for ourselves, and it's cause it does cause some issue. But we have to say that we're moving towards a more and more Edenic uh, world. We're, um, I think of how easy it is I, for me for me to plant a garden. Now I could go to a, I could also go to a grocery store and buy stuff, but I like to do things on my own. So to plant a garden, we'd go to the store, we ask for some seeds, and we'd go home and plant them. Might put some weed killer out there or pull some weeds every now and then. There's not much to it. Um, for, for somebody who gardens a lot, there's a lot more to it than that. But there's there's not much to it as far as you plant it, you take care of the plants, and they just grow. Got to water them. Got to do a few other things. But uh, what I'm saying is it's not as bad as it was 200 years ago. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm just thinking of Sally. And... <laughs> well, yes. Yeah, so uh... yeah. Sally, let me teach you about gardening. Okay, <laughs> Let me tell you how, how, how easy it is. But it is, it is uh, far easier than it was uh, some 200 years ago. It's far easier for us to thrive than it was uh, some 200 years ago. So we, we should see, when we look at history, and what we're talking about, Joe, is this point of uh, God's saints are vindicated in history, we, w- we should see that we are moving to a more and more Edenic um, uh, end to history, if you will. Um, we should see that the saints are vindicated throughout history. And it's a little bit of a tangent there, but I think it was worth talking about.
our ultimate source of knowing is the Word of God. Mm. So if the Word of God says we're winning, we're winning. Mm. That, that's a very good point. That's actually a point we'll get into uh, clo- closer to chapter 5, verse 7, uh, when we're talking about patience, because Jeff had some pretty in- interesting insights in that. But um, that is one of the key insights, is trusting that God, um, that God will do as he s- has said he will do. Yeah, if we were if we were going down that road of uh, following things uh, as we see it, we would have this temptation that the early church had in the book of James, which is to chase comfort and to chase worldly power. I don't have anything to add to that. No, <laughs> this is very, no, no. very good. All right, so the warning here. Our goal as followers of Christ is not to exchange one hell on earth. You remember I said this last week. Is not to exchange one hell on earth for another. Instead, we are trying to, we are trying to bring in a new way of life, a new kingdom, a new creation. Um, it's becoming more Edenic through us and as uh, you pointed out we know this because God has said so we can trust in Him when we seek out worldly means to gaining power remember that January 6th slide I had at the very beginning of all these sessions with the uh, ecumenical flag up when we seek worldly means to gaining power instead of heavenly means 
how can we expect to create anything new? All we'll, all we'll get is more of the same. And I uh, remember Jeff Myers had in the book that line from The Who, which is, uh, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. You know, we don't, when, when we come in, when, when, when Christianity moves into a territory, things should be different there. It shouldn't be more of the same. Uh, one of the ways R.J. Rushdoony put this is uh, he always he always said that where Christians where Christians go into territories we should see hospitals thriving we should see schools thriving um, and I got that from uh, Roots of Reconstruction uh, some of his thoughts on uh, I think it was on uh, theocracy um, we should see hospitals we should see schools thriving we should see the community thriving. The Jewish leaders were mimetic rivals uh, with Rome, so they sought that Roman power, they sought that Roman style of power, always getting, uh, always um, rebellious. You read about all sorts of rebellions and zealotry during the time of Christ and even after. One of the disciples was even called Simon the Zealot, which I don't know, I, I'd have to do more of a study on who that is, but it was just, it really struck me that one of the disciples was referred to as Simon the Zealot. It shows how pervasive the zealotry was in their culture. Um, they loved Rome, uh, sorry, they loved and coveted Rome's power. And when we, in one of the most damning uh, ways we see this is when they say, say, we have no king but Caesar. They chose, they chose Caesar over Jesus. They thought that acting like Rome would bring them power. They were seeking power, were seeking power through earthly means instead of heavenly means. We have this uh, constant thing that I'm always saying, that Jeff is always saying through the book, power from above and power from below. That's, that's the real tension here uh, that we're dealing with in this gospel. Where does the power come from? Where do your words come from? Where does your wisdom come from? So, the coming judgment, and this, uh, this is relating more to our opening reading of James 5, 1 through 6. One of the most uncomfortable facts of the Bible is, that the, is, is the Jews' rejection of the Messiah, Jesus, and their loss of position as the people of God. This is uncomfortable, and the reason I put it out there as uncomfortable is because we are now in the position of having spiritual wealth, that we, the Christian church. Okay. And so we should, we, we should approach that position, approach our Christian mission with fear and trembling. We should approach it with um, a little bit of humility and we should also we should also seek to understand um, how we accomplish this mission. Our mission is um, one of bringing the gospel to those that don't have it. Here in James five one through six, we have some strange language, and it begins again with the phrase "Come now and go to now," in uh, 
K in, in the KJV. Come now, Jeff Meyer says, is a call to repentance, particularly a call to repentance to the Jewish people, but also the early church of Jerusalem. So a couple weeks ago we talked about how these were um, these were uh, parables that were that we're dealing with in James uh, 4, 13 through 17, and James 5, 1 through 6. These are a couple of parables. The parables aren't just uh, speaking to the Jewish people, but they're also speaking to um, the early church as a warning. So it's a call to repentance to the Jewish zealots, and also a call to repentance to the early church for their temptation and the times that they have um, acted um, in in uh, acts of zealotry, but it's also um, I, I lost my train of thought. It, it's a call to repentance, but it's also a warning to those um, who who would want to take up arms and uh, seek that worldly power. Any thoughts? Yeah. in some attic or someplace somewhere with a group of people that would meet by night. Mm -hmm. they, were, they were being hunted down. Yeah. And therefore, some of this writing that gets dispersed is kind of in code. You rich men, watch out. Now today we take that, hey, this is Marxism, man. Anybody <laughs> that has money is bad. Did you look ahead on my slides? <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I no, no. You you did a um, better job of making that clear, but um, I think it's on the very next slide. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I have it. Okay. So, who are the rich that James is referring to? James and, and I, and I'm trying to put this more often uh, as Jacob, um, because because that was what his name would have been. Um, James is referring to the rich several times in the epistle. So who are these rich guys? As my father was just pointing out and, and um, made it very clear. Uh, it's, important, it's important that we note that he's not pushing a Marxist class warfare position. But he's talking about a particular issue in the time of the early church of Jerusalem. So, so he's not... He's not uh, doing a class warfare thing. We, we tend to have that in our culture, um, a, a little bit of like, I hate, I hate the rich guy or I hate this guy. You know, We're not, we're not doing that uh, here. Okay, this isn't, this isn't about rich man versus poor man. Um, this is, the rich man that we're referring to would have been the Jewish people. We talked about that, um, and that's, that's actually what we were talking about a couple slides ago as well, the Jewish people who were theocratically wealthy. I like that term, theocratically wealthy. We could say, we could say that we, we should look at these scriptures right here and, be, and look at that with some fear and trembling, some humility, because I would say that in this church particularly, um, we are theocratically wealthy. We have had... Many great speakers here. We've had the work of R.J. Rushduni. We've had good pastors here. 
we've had good theological training, very theocratically wealthy, what do we do with that? Do we want to go the same way as the uh, Jews who squandered their wealth, as we're, as we're talking about in James 5, verses 1 through 6? The problem with the rich man is his persecution and not his riches. We could use the word elitist in our day and age. Um, and that's just that's just a thought that's just a thought that I had that popped out. Um, we um, we well I I don't know maybe maybe I'm not uh, correct on that. But we have we have elitist tendencies in our culture in this day and age. Um, I don't know if anybody has any more thoughts on that. Um, I certainly see that tendency, and we have a tendency as the church on a much broader scale to want to appease those elitists and to seek that elitist power. I see that when we have the churches that fly the rainbow flag, or when I see churches that um, ex uh, ch churches that adhere to the idea of secularism, and and that's the idea that that. There is a place, there's a time and a place for God and His Word, and that's in the church or around your table, maybe sometimes in prayer. Um, we, of course, reject that. Uh, one of the ways I've seen this is uh, we, had a, we had a Christian guy at work. He was a little overzealous, and one of the other workers, who was also a Christian, came to me and complained about it. And he said, um, he, he said, this guy's talking to me about um, God. And he goes, I, I believe in that stuff, but it's just inappropriate at the workplace. And I was just like, what are we doing here? <laughs> you know? It, how, how is that inappropriate at the workplace? And of course, work, workplace would, uh, would never side with me on that uh, in this day and age. They uh, certainly adhere to the ideas and the ideals of secularism, but it was just very striking to me that a fellow Christian would have that opinion. And um, in all fairness, um, a, a worker—you know—some of us are. Some of us do come into uh, our faith, and we are a little overzealous. We might we, we might come in and we might want to talk to everybody about Jesus, but we also owe our um, our leaders, our superiors, uh, something, we're there to work. So we have to find that balance. Any thoughts on that before I continue? That was just a quick aside. This kind of resonates from showing your faith by your works. The best witness on the job is to be a productive employee. Yeah. Talk to you. Yeah. Um, I had... I had Right. Right, and I did. I did end up telling the gentleman at work. I mean, he doesn't work there now, um, but I did. I did end up telling him at one point. I'll be like, dude, if if you really want to show your faith, I said. I said you 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 should. I I agree that you should absolutely be able to talk about it, but it should not hinder your production at any point because. You, because you're here, you've, you're, you're under contract with your boss, 
So if you're, if you're doing what we would call time theft, then you're not being a very good witness to the Christian faith. They'll see you as just another hypocrite. Oh yeah, Christian. Uh, I heard heard it said years ago, um, back back I th back I think when I was uh, in high school, and I think I've heard it since then. Um, and I hope it's still said. But we there used to be people who uh, like the market baskets or whatever they wanted kids from Tri City, those Christian kids who worked harder, you know. And I I always took that as something of. Uh, some pride, you know. I like that that we had the reputation of working harder. Certainly saw that uh, as a as a reputation when I went into my job, and um, it's worked out pretty well for me, um, you know. But I, as as we were saying, it was you know when I went into that workplace, I wasn't talk talk talking about the Christian faith. Everybody who's there already knows who I am, and they they know what I do. Sometimes doing chaplaincy, um, it, it's kind of this interesting position because I can sit down with the higher levels of administration and have very just candid, casual conversations. Mm. And but then you're also dealing with officers or people within the institution that are dealing with some very, very real problems. And there are times where you go in based on discussions that you've had with people, and you're making recommendations to administration. And it really is this kind of dance there of I'm sitting down talking to, you know, a chief or a supervisor, but also having the very real, the realization that I, I'm not telling you what to do here, like, mm. and, I, and not arrogantly just walking in and say, hey, you guys should do this. Mm. Um, but there are some times where you do go in very strongly to advocate for someone or something that's going on, but you really have to kind of do that dance and it's it, it's it's happened a couple of times where you go in and you just kind of get this real sense of I've got to tread very very lightly or everything um, that you know has been established here is going to get blown up if I just kind of you know, go at this and kind of be pushing yeah um, so it's just kind of it's interesting but. yeah uh, and I I see that I see that especially in the corporate world because uh, anybody anybody who's not not aware, not involved. Um, the corporate world is uh, in, incredibly. I would say, I, th they would say that they're indifferent, but I, I would say that they're they're very much uh, in line with the enemy on a, on a lot of these things. And so I have to go to some meetings and just um, keep my mouth shut. Church, the Jesus' mm. church. 
They must have had some interesting conversations uh, after some of his lessons. That's one of the beautiful thing about um, beautiful things about the body, you know. I, and we we may have people such as Judas who you know leave who don't make it, but. The, the beautiful thing about the body is just the variety of people that we that we get in here uh, get into the body one of the things that uh, was really cool yesterday was was talking to, uh, to like like listening to Ethan's conversation with Eric Borge and listening to them talking about like their side of uh, uh, where Ethan's on the sales part of auto auto uh, the auto automotive industry and I'm I'm in the manufacturing, and it's just just interesting dynamics there. Listening uh, to the differences in the uh, the way that these things work, um, but there's just such a variety there, and such a variety of people. Uh, no, another thing that uh, always strikes me is if uh, y you know if we have a speaker up here, he won't uh, uh, like Yuri or George Grant. Or someone like that, even James Jordan, they didn't hesitate to talk to some of us um, laymen, if you will. You know, they they were actually very friendly. Um, I always thought that was really cool and very humble of them. Um, I'm gonna just I'm gonna close this down in just a second, but the um, where we are in the uh, chiastic structure. So we have we have this uh, little bit of symmetry going on here between uh, James two one through seven, which was when we talked about the rich man and the poor man, and here we are again in uh, four thirteen uh, through five six, talking about the rich man and the righteous one. Um, so the Jewish people have set themselves against the readers of the book of James. Um, and the comfort that uh, James was giving them was that judgment is coming. He's giving that as a warning to the Jewish uh, people and the readers of the book of James. Judgment is coming, and it did in 70 AD. The language used is similar to Isaiah. Isaiah uh, 50, verse 9. Behold, the Lord, will, the Lord God will help me. Who is he that shall condemn me? Lo, excuse me, lo, they all shall wax old as a garment, and the moth eat it up. Hearken unto me, ye that know righteousness. The people in whose heart is my law, fear ye not the reproach of men, neither be ye afraid of their revelings. For the moth shall eat them up like a garment, and the worm shall eat them like wool. But my righteousness shall be forever and my salvation from generation to generation. It's Isaiah 51, 7 through 8. So you can see that the language is similar, and it would be a lengthy discussion to discuss what this is talking about. Um, real quick thought to leave us all on is what, what these uh, two scripture references in Isaiah 50 and Isaiah 51 are talking about is the uh, loss and degradation of the theocratic wealth um, of the early Jewish church. And this is both a um, warning to the, to the Jews who are doing the persecuting, as well as uh, a message of hope 
and we'll get into why that is next week. Does it, anybody have any last closing thoughts before we end in prayer? Uh, Jordan, would you like to close us in prayer? Thank you, Jordan.